0: Welcome to Battleground, today is Tuesday, July 28th, and we have a spectacular guest this morning, one of our close friends, good friend of Battleground, the secretary of the great state of Alabama, Secretary of State, John Merrill. Secretary, thank you for being on the show, you're a stud, awesome. Uh, I gotta say one thing before we get into this interview, I am very very disappointed, like a lot of us are, uh, a, lot of, a, a lot of probably Alabama, uh, and a lot of your friends that you didn't see on the ballot. Uh, we would have loved to see you as our next U.S. senator, uh, maybe next time, but thank you for being on the show. Well, you're kind to have me as your guest again. I always enjoy being on here with
1: you, and your remarks are uh, overflowing with uh, ambulance. I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and uh, there have been a number of people in our state that have expressed similar sentiments, but there'll be another day. And the most important thing is that we elect a qualified conservative who is interested in doing the right thing and doing it well. And will take that Senate seat back and give it to the people of Alabama.
0: That's right. And you know what? Great, great point. Great lead in. I think, uh, you know, Tommy Tomerville beats Jeff Sessions. Obviously the president endorsed him. I think that was huge. It was still a tight race. So um, how do you see the oh, playing out? Well, you know, the the race between
1: Senator Sessions and between Coach Tupperbill really had a couple of dynamics that didn't truly become revealed to all of us until after the election was over. First and foremost, Senator Sessions was running uphill the whole time and trying to overcome the uh, bad blood between himself and the president, which he didn't even see as bad blood, which was probably a political problem. Of course, the president is still. Uh, just so appreciative to the people of Alabama for defeating Senator Sessions in the first loss of his political career. But Senator Sessions never really saw what was coming. And one of the things that happened, not only having the support of the president, Coach Tuberville is very well-liked, very well-respected because of his work at Auburn University as head football coach there for 10 years and doing a great job. Um, beating the University of Alabama, my alma mater, seven of the 10 years he was there in some of the the most outstanding times in the history of Auburn University football. And Coach Tuckerville has never been one to back down from a fight. A lot of people liked that. People viewed him as an outsider. And I think that's the message he intends to take to Washington on November the 3rd. Now, the thing that made it extra hard on Senator Sessions was trying to overcome The career politician identity that was assigned to him because he's been in elective office all but two and a half years since 1994 and he had served as a U.S. Attorney prior to that and then he served as our Attorney General before he was elected to the U.S. Senate he served there for 20 years before he vacated to become the Attorney General for the president that's been well documented and now he was trying to come back and a lot of people looked at what he had done and his electoral success and they said, Well, he's going to be a natural to just slide back in there. But a lot of people are fed up with the things that have been going on in Washington. And they assigned some of that blame to Senator Sessions, and that caused a problem for him that he was unable to overcome, which is why he lost by 20 plus points, which was just
0: overwhelming to anybody that was an objective observer to that race. That's right, and and he got nailed pretty hard with the drain the swamp tag and all that, right? So, uh, it, it, you know, I got to tell you, it's, um, when you you go outside of the beltway, right, because I always tell people that live inside of the beltway, is you got to leave Washington, you got to go and travel the country, you got to go into, you know, into America, and talk to regular folks and you'll see that they despise everything about Washington. They despise everything about career politicians. You know, I don't think the framers had in mind, you know, people living off a of government for their entire life. Um, you know, it, it, when we go back in history, what did, what did, what did people do? They served a term or two and went back home, went back to their farm, went back to their business and kept on going. Right. And, and I think, you know, there should be term limits. I'm hoping that does pass at some point. I think it'd be healthy for the country. Some people say, you know what? It would give a lot more power to lobbyists. I don't believe that. I think uh, term limits would be healthy. I think it's important, uh, you know, to push. Uh, we see Senator Cruz pushing that. I don't know if it's going to get any traction, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, we'll figure that out. I don't know how you feel about term limits, you know, Secretary.
1: No doubt about it. Now, one of the things that I think a lot of people are concerned about is how people have taken advantage of the system and they see those abuses over the years and have come disenchanted with a number of people who've been in those roles. And yet the way that the United States Senate, for example, has been structured historically is kind of the way Senator Shelby has told some of our people before. He said, look, the first six years you're in Washington as a United States Senator, they don't even pay attention to you. You're lucky to find out where the restroom is. Yes. And then the next six years, if you were fortunate enough to be reelected, they start to watch you a little bit, but they just want to make sure that you're sane and that you are competent enough to do the job. When you get elected to your second full reelection bid, which is in your third term, yeah. they start to say, does this person have potential for leadership? And at that point, then they start to move you into that position, but that's the way that the entity has been always viewed in the history of the Republic ever since the establishment of the Senate and the assignment of those Senate seats by the legislatures in our respective states up until 1912 uh, with the passage of the constitutional amendment that allowed for direct election of senators. And since that time, we've seen more of a historical swing where it has directly to do with longevity of service, and seniority is the most important thing that you can experience when you're in Washington as a member of the United States Senate. But people at home, they don't like that. And it's just like you're saying, if you're talking about Potomac fever that a lot of our elected officials get because they think the only thing that matters is what happens in Washington. We see the same thing in Montgomery here where our people feel the same way. They live in a bubble. Uh, even if they are legislators and they go back to their homes, they look at what's happening here. Is well, if, if they know who I am in Montgomery, then everybody in the state knows who I am, and, and they don't, and they don't care. You know, one of the things that I try to remind our team of here in the office of the Secretary of State, especially some of our young people, who this may be their first or their second job, and they become very eager and enthusiastic, they want to please, they want to do a good job, but Sometimes you can see them kind of feeling it a little bit. and They're like, I'm important and I'm really doing a good job. And this place couldn't function if I wasn't here. And so I'll take them aside from time to time and I'll say, let me remind you of something. Somebody was in this position before you came here and somebody will be in this position after you leave. That's why I'm the 53rd secretary of state. So you have to understand that and you can't get so eaten up with your own self-importance that you believe that government could not function without you. Because, you know, it's hard for me to say as as it is. Um, Somebody became president after George Washington. Somebody became president after Thomas Jefferson and James Knox Polk and Abraham Lincoln and John Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson and Ronald Reagan, and somebody will be president after Donald Trump. So we have to understand where we are and what our role is, and that's just to do all we can do in that role as long as we have the privilege to serve, and if we invest our entire being, our energy, our vigor,
0: our enthusiasm into our service while we're there, that's all we're called that's that's absolutely right and and you know it's, it's uh i think the people of alabama are blessed to have you as their secretary of state and i wanted to lead into into the following is democrats unfortunately are no, not the most honest and ethical people to roam the face of the earth uh I'm going to use a little bit stronger words because that's how I am. I, I think they are despicable, dishonest, and just absolute liars. But hey, you know what do I know? I'm just a partisan hack, right? But you know, here's my question: We know they they, they find votes where they don't exist, mostly cemeteries and illegals. Uh, you're the Secretary of State for Alabama. How are you going to prevent dead people from voting? How are you going to prevent illegals from voting? Secretary, help us. Are we gonna have a clean election in Alabama? And how, to, how does the rest of the country learn from Secretary of State John Merrill? Well, we are going to
1: have a clean election in Alabama. That's one of the things that we've concentrated on the most since I've been the secretary. I, I do want to make sure that your listeners understand this, though. I think this is so very important. Now, I've been the secretary of state for five years, six months, and nine days today. And we have made a concerted effort since I took office to ensure that each and every eligible US citizen that's a resident of Alabama is given the opportunity to become a registered voter and to obtain a photo ID so they can participate in the electoral process. And since that time, we have registered 1,567,102 new voters in our state. We now have a state record, 3,600 and 17,039 registered voters in Alabama. Those numbers are unprecedented and unparalleled in the history of the state of Alabama and per capita, no state has done as much as we've done in this same period of time. Now, we've removed more than 920,000 people from the vote rolls during that. And we've removed those people because they've
0: moved away, they have passed away, or they've been put away. And whenever well, Democrats, that happens, well, I don't appreciate that, you know, removing past. Well, they don't. And, and you they know, get aggravated. Just because somebody's dead doesn't mean they shouldn't be allowed to vote, Secretary. Come on.
1: Well, it's kind of like President Johnson said when he was running for the United States Senate in Texas back in the 1930s. And they were in the cemetery and they were writing people's names down that were on tombstones. And one of his workers yelled at him and he said, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson, I cannot read this one. What should I do? And President Johnson, who was just running for the Senate at the time, said, "Look, just write his name down, whatever you believe it to be. He deserves the right to vote just as much as all these other people."
0: <laughs> so, and that is and that has remained true to this day. So, with this with this pandemic, the uh, Democrats, obviously, you know, the the the, the clown show in that house, whatever you want to call them. Are all trying to push for this mail-in ballot? We know that's going to lead to a tremendous amount of fraud. How are you going to handle that? Uh, I I know there's tremendous amount of pressure nationwide. I don't well, know what it is. I don't know what it is in Alabama, but I, but I'm you know we're hoping that you you'll protect the integrity of, of, of that great state.
1: We're we're getting it here too. And look, we had a conference call yesterday with all of our Republican secretaries of state from around the nation talking about. The importance of integrity and credibility in the process and making sure that we hold solid to where we are we don't succumb to the pressure that we're experiencing to make sure that we're doing everything we can for all of our citizens to know that their vote will count for the candidate of their choice we want to make it easy to vote but hard to cheat that's the bottom line now i think it's important to draw a, a fine line between the difference between direct mail-in balloting and absentee voting by mail. There's a big difference there. We need to understand what the difference is and why it's so important to understand and to appreciate that. Direct mail-in balloting in the state of Alabama, if we did that, this is what it would mean. It would mean that all 3,617,039 registered voters in our state, would receive a ballot mailed to their home, whether they requested it or not. And then they would be able to cast their ballot if they were fortunate enough to receive it in the mail. Now, this probably would not happen in other parts of the nation, but I'm just gonna be as transparent as I can. But we have some people in certain places in our state that if we had direct mail-in balloting, when the rural postal carrier was making the delivery, on those rural roads or in those suburban neighborhoods, somebody would be in a pickup truck riding behind that person. And as they put those ballots in the mailbox, somebody would be taking them out. And they'd be marking them and they'd be voting them for the candidate of their choice instead of the voter's choice. That's a problem. It's a realistic problem. and something that we need to acknowledge. But most of my Democratic colleagues who believe so strongly direct mail-in balloting will not acknowledge that that can even happen.
0: Of course. I mean, they don't acknowledge that dead people vote, right? So, I mean. That's exactly
1: right. That's exactly right. Now, let me say this about where we are related to absentee voting. We think that if people want to vote by mail through the absentee process, they should be encouraged to do so. We have raised and heightened the awareness of all of our voters across the state by letting them know want to vote absentee, I have used the executive powers given to me by our Constitution to modify our laws related to absentee voting participation so that any voter that wants to vote absentee can simply mark on the absentee ballot application, I'm ill or infirmed and unable to appear at my polling site on Election Day, that will qualify that voter to vote absentee if they choose to then they can cast their ballot for the candidate of their choice upon successful application to receive a ballot, return it, follow all instructions, and then their vote will count that way as well. Now, we broke every record in the history of our state for voter participation through the absentee process on July 14th. We had 43,000 people make an absentee ballot application and more than 32,000 people successfully return those ballots. We expect we're gonna have north of a hundred thousand absentee ballot applications cast after uh, uh, more than a hundred thousand absentee ballot applications applied for and then I don't know what number will be cast for November the 3rd. But I do think it's important to note
0: we want them to know they have to follow the law. Exactly right. Exactly right. So following the law, that's a great, 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 uh, great segue into my next question. We're seeing we're we're seeing this criminal element, this Marxist organization, Black Lives Matter, uh, hiding behind the social justice, racial justice, uh, you know, whatever, systematic racism, all this stuff. But it's really a Marxist organization. They're embedded with Antifa, anarchist, criminal element. Um, they're rioting, looting, arson, assaulting, uh, even murder. All over just about every single major inner city in the country. How is Alabama facing that? Or have you guys been hit by that element? Uh, or are you guys immune to that?
1: Well, we no, we're not immune to it. Uh, We've had some communities in our state that have had uh, protests, some have been peaceful, some have been more violent in nature than others. Uh, We had a a minor violent protest that occurred in Huntsville. Uh, That was shut down immediately by the police department in Huntsville, and justifiably so. uh, We had a very significant violent protest that took place in Birmingham that not even the mayor could stop. Uh, related to the Black Lives Matter movement and a protestation of a Confederate monument that had been in Lynn Park, which is a central park there in Birmingham for many, many years. And they tried to put those two things together, resulting in some chaotic activity, destruction of businesses, destruction of uh, property. All of those things took place right after the George Floyd incident. I think it's important to note that the areas where we had strong leadership in our cities resulted in peaceful protests that occurred and law enforcement was where it needed to be, but nothing really got out of hand. Now, I will say this, in Montgomery, it was a little bit different because not only did we have the local police involved, but state troopers were also deployed here and they protected the state capitol The Capitol grounds, Uh, they were here 24/7 as they were primed for whatever took place. I remember being in my office one night right after this started and I was in here working and uh, I heard the door open. This was probably about uh, 8.30 at night. I did not think a whole lot about it because a lot of times the janitor will come in at that time Enter, in, uh, entering in, taking the trash cans, emptying them out, vacuum.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.